Good morning, church in Charlottesville. Victory, we love you. This is Pastor Brett Fuller. I am the pastor of Grace Covenant Church and the sending pastor for your pastor, Pastor Paul Harris. We helped to start who you are. We began with the process of creating vision in the local church, and then uh, Paul, Pastor Paul was, and Taylor were a part of that process, and then we sent them out two and a half, three years ago. And uh, they established who you are, and it's our privilege to be able to support what God has produced there in Charlottesville. And I have been tasked with the privilege of being able to talk to you today. I want to speak to you on a passage out of the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6. Actually, <clears throat> verses 3 through 6. The title of the message is Forward Confidence. Forward Confidence. Philippians 1, verses 3 through 6. Paul's writing, and he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy and every prayer for you all. Verse 5, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am, verse 6, very confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, help us as we study your word. I want to talk about the process that Paul goes through in writing this letter. Four points. The church's participation in the gospel from the first day until now. What it produced in Paul. What it prompted in Paul. And then how it persuaded Paul. This church was born in persecution and birthed and marinated in poverty. Born and birthed in persecution and marinated in poverty. Not necessarily a recipe for real success and prosperity. Paul had birthed this church somewhere around the early 50s A.D. He had gone to Macedonia as a result of a calling. He was trying to get someplace else and the Holy Spirit didn't let him go there. And then he saw this, this vision of this man from Macedonia who was calling him saying, come here. And so he felt that that was the Spirit's leading, and indeed it was. The church at Philippi became the first church in all of Europe. And it was in birth with ease. While there, he and Silas, his ministry partner, were preaching the gospel and riled the crowd to such a degree that they had to be thrown into prison. This is where we get the famous story of Paul and Silas being chained in the inner prison being chained against the wall shackles yet at midnight everybody could hear them praising God singing hymns nobody had ever sung hymns from that place as a result there was an earthquake that happened we don't know whether the entire city experienced it but we do know that the jail jail did and all the prison doors fl flung open and Paul and Silas were free as well as everybody else who was incarcerated the jailer, the warden, realized all the prison doors were open and he didn't see anybody around. He thought everybody had escaped. He took out his sword, was, about, was about to kill himself because the penalty for allowing a prisoner to escape was being burned at the stake with your own clothes. Paul and Silas see what the, the warden is about to do. He says, stop, 
we're all here. Now all, I think, means all. So the praise and worship that it prompted, the deliverance from every prisoner in the prison, which ought to be a sermon all by itself, that your praise and worship is not just about seeing you praise God, but it can prompt your deliverance and help other people get delivered as well. All of that seemed to have captured everybody who had the opportunity to flee, and they began to to see what Paul and Silas were doing. They, they must have run down to the inner prison, and he was doing a Bible study with them. I don't know, but they were all there, which prompted the jailer to say, um, okay, who is this God that you serve? He gets saved. He takes Paul and Silas out of prison back to his house in the middle of the night, wakes everybody up, family as well as servants. Paul preaches, everybody there gets saved. They all get baptized at night. And even though that is astounding, the real clincher to the story that gets overlooked is the fact that in the morning, Paul and Silas were back in jail. <laughs> How'd they get there? Oh, gosh. It went something like this. This is between the lines of Scripture. The warden says to Paul and Silas, um, listen, nobody who's guilty of whatever they said you did to, to be in prison can really be guilty of whatever they said you did to be in prison. So I know you're innocent because of what has happened here. But uh, if you don't go back to prison, uh, I die. So, could you, could you, could you please let me escort you back to your jail cell? With no argument from Paul or Silas. Wow. Sometimes the most freeing place is being in the servitude of another. He loved this jailer that much to allow himself to be de detained, confined. Oh, we Americans are so independent. We won't let anybody tell us what to do, much less put us in bondage. No, no, no. I can't do that. I have my rights and my freedoms. Hmm? That's how the church in Philippi got started. Birthed, born in persecution. And then probably because of their Christianity, their faith in Christ, the people who had professed Jesus were now excluded from the guilds, the associations by which people would gain resources, the materials necessary to do their craft at a cheaper price. Uh, they were excluded from the guilds. They were like unions. So that now they, they couldn't, produce their stuff like they used to at a cheaper price and had to sell it for more which hampered their business or they were now taxed more because they considered Jesus their Lord rather than Caesar whatever it was the church at Philippi wound up in a place of poverty not that the city was poor but the church was Paul explains that throughout the letter and he says so in confirmation in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 when he talks about the kind of giving that the church at Philippi gave with respect to a vision of helping the people in Jerusalem during a time of poverty and with helping Paul through his difficult financial moments. 
He says, out of their great poverty flowed a wealth of liberality. Wow. And he was convicting, using the testimony at Philippi to convict the church at Corinth about how they had set aside money, but somehow it was missing. When the collectors came to get the money, everybody said, I don't know where it is. Paul was saying, make sure that no covetousness steps in when you set aside resources to be able to provide for these other needs. You at Corinth aren't experiencing those things that the people at Philippi are. You have more wealth, more opportunity. Please don't let them put you to shame. This was the testimony of Paul. A church birthed in persecution and marinated, steeped in poverty. Wow. And this is what he says about them. I thank my God every day in my remembrance of you. Because you have participated with me in the gospel from the first day you understood it to be true until now. Now, the letter was written somewhere in the early 60s A.D., we think 61, 62. The church was birthed someplace in the early 50s A.D., 51, 52. So 10 years had passed. And this church in that decade had not stopped participating in the gospel, which made the apostle really happy. Now, it may be that their participation in the gospel, every time they took the offering, you could hear it. Oh, gosh. By the way, if you can hear an offering, mm, you're grateful for the people who gave, but there are coins there, not dollar bills. (laughs) It's going to be a tough day trying to deposit and make salary and keep the lights on. You get my point? This church was poor. Now, back then, all they used was coins, so always you could hear it. But they were small coins, if you will, just a little bit of money, a drachma. Uh, two pennies it wasn't much and he says from the first day you got right until now even though you've had many opportunities to say no I need to provide for me we need to provide for our church we're going through extraordinarily difficult times they said no we're going to put our apostle first we're going to put the mission first We believe our God will provide for us if we provide for that which is important to him. From the first day until now, Paul says they participated in that. That produced wonderful memories for Paul. Wonderful memories. And may I say, in a a superimposition of this passage and this church over yours, that I am really grateful for your participation in the gospel. From the first day until now, you have given. You have served. You've loved your community. You've sacrificially decided my stuff is not my stuff. Now there are people in Christianity who say that, but they hardly ever show it. If you believe that your stuff is really not your stuff, that it's actually God's stuff, even though your name might be on your checking account, even though your name might be on the deed to your home, even though your name might be on the title to your car, you realize it's God's stuff and all you are doing is stewarding his stuff until he tells you to do something else with it. That's the way the people at Philippi thought and that's the way you thought. That everything that God has given is really on loan 
to me. And as soon as he asks for it back, yes, sir. I'm proud of you, church, in Charlottesville. Proud of you, Victory, because you've participated in the gospel. I'm proud of your pastor. As much as I hate to see him go, you have no idea how much I love Pastor Paul and Taylor. You have no idea, which makes it hard for me to bless their leaving. Oh, it doesn't have anything to do with my dissatisfaction. Please don't interpret that. It's that I won't be able to labor with them as I have for the past decade and a half at one level or another. I won't be able to fellowship with them in mission like we have for the past four years, five years. I won't be able to do what we used to do anymore. It doesn't mean that our relationship stops. That continues on right through to glory. And so we'll be on the phone and we'll talk and maybe I'll take a visit up to State College and, and uh, we'll, 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 we'll break bread. But it's hard for me to bless it because I realize things are changing. Oh, I'm going to bless them leaving, no question. But, but I want you to feel my relational struggle because I love them so and I like working with them like this. They have sacrificed greatly. They have given more than you will ever know. More than you will ever know. And so in the pain of losing your pastor, I pray that you would develop the kind of mentality that allows you to be thankful for what you got rather than mad for what you won't get. You got three years, some of you. Some of you two. Some of you six months. You got a good man and a good woman that loved you and cared for you, pastored you, prayed for you, fasted for you, started you. You wouldn't have the vision that you have. You wouldn't have the compilation of people like you got without him and her. And so I, I'm, I beg you to allow the sacrifice that they gave to be that which is kind of like what Paul memorialized in the life of the, of the Philippian church. He says, I am grateful for your participation in the gospel. You ought to have that kind of gratefulness about Paul and Taylor. They have participated in the gospel as long as you have known them, from your first day until now. And you collectively have participated in the progress of the gospel in that this church is given to missions. This church has bought homes for the people who are less than, that, that could not find a place to live, a good domicile to, uh, to, to, to dwell in, a, a roof over their head. This church is sacrificed to help feed the poor. This church has done amazing things. And when I look at how Paul thinks, I have to allow that to inform me that this is an emissary of Almighty God who is representing how God thinks. Meaning when Paul is saying, you've made me happy, he's also saying, you brought a smile to the face of God because you did not consider the needs that you had more important than the needs that other people had. And you gave out of your own need in order to supply someone else's. That brought a smile to Paul's face. And obviously, God's. 
it produced in him. It did a, a sense of good memories. Oh, you want to build good memories. You, you do. If, you have, if you've had bad memories with somebody and you realize you're going to be with them for a really long time, you do not want those to be the dominant thoughts. So you, if you're going to be with them for a long time, orchestrate moments for good memories. You don't want the bad ones to dominate your, your time and your, 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 your brain cells, the space in your head. Create good ones. Fortunately, Paul didn't have any bad memories that we can recount here with, with the church of Philippi. He only had good ones. And it says, when, when I think about you, I get happy. <laughs> it produced good memories in Paul. And it produced thanksgiving. It prompted him to pray. And in two ways, he said he, he, he prayed to God with supplication and he prayed with joy. <laughs> How about that? Hear me. There are lots of things and there are lots of people for which I pray. Some of them not with much joy. <laughs> lots of problems, lots of issues. Things that need to be untied that are tied. Knots that need to be unraveled that I don't know how to deal with. Uh, conflagrations between people. Lord, do something. I find myself in a way of supplication that is more of a, of a, of a, of a plea, a cry out to God to say help. Because I don't know what else to do. That is most of my prayer life. Rarely do I get the opportunity to let my prayer be preceded by joy. Prompted by joy. Infused, marinated in joy. It does happen. And when it does, I really get happy. I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for my bride, Cynthia. Wow. You let this Little, little black man from Kansas, Mary, way up, way up. <laughs> I'm so far upstream. I'm out of my zip code comfort. She is so great. That's a prayer with joy. Paul said, I, I pray with joy when I think about you. You want to live your life in such a way? That that can be said of the people who serve you. Because they, they are then a reflection of what God thinks about you. See, the church at Philippi is one of those congregations about whom very little negative is said. You got, you got four chapters. And, and you got a couple of issues in there. You got a couple of ladies that don't get along very well. Uh, you got some antinomianism that might be trying to creep in, but it hasn't become a super problem. You've got some ambition from some people that's trying to, you know, push its way to the top. Therefore, Paul has to say, humble yourself, have this attitude that was also in you that was in Christ, excuse me, have this attitude that was in Christ Jesus on the inside of you, that although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, becoming obedient by taking on mankind humanity and even becoming obedient to the point of death yes death on a cross philippians chapter 2 5 through 9 that yes but he he's he's more nudging them to righteousness rather than rebuking them for unrighteousness which is not the case 
at the church with the church at Galatia. Not the case with the church at Corinth, no. Not the case with the church at Ephesus. There is some outright, y'all need to repent. You're messing up really, really good. You're creating ways of messing up. I haven't had to talk to anybody about this kind of stuff, Corinth. You got sin in your church that the Gentiles don't even do. Are you kidding me? Stop it. That's Paul trying to figure out how to arrest wrong behavior in a church. Not so with Philippi. Just nudgings more to righteousness to hedge against wickedness, to build fences. Not a negative thing in this entire letter except two women that don't get along. And then he even says, uh, one of the servants in the church, could you help them? They, they really need some, some, some assistance. They can't figure it out. Then he moves on. And these two women are actually named. So everybody in the church must know it because Paul doesn't name people unless everybody knows what's going on. This was a great church. And it brought Paul so much joy. Victory. You are a great church. You have been birthed in an environment of conflict. Your city has become kind of the seedbed, a flashpoint, a, a reference city for everything that is ethnically wrong. For years you've been dealing with the issues of the respected Thomas Jefferson, founding father of our country, a founding father of our country, and the either blind spots or the the, the intentional character flaws that he embraced regarding slavery and so many other issues that I think were less than in his thought process. That's how, for the most part, the city got its founding on the map. I'm not telling you anything new. And then you had your moment in 2017. Horrible. These things prompted what we are now calling victory. Now, the beauty is that we already had it in our heart before 2017 happened. All it did was fortify our efforts, confirm to us how important the planting of this church was. And then we had 2020, the fires through which you went because of the occupational endeavors of your pastor outside of the ministry and the difficulty that it was in order for him to gain the respect uh, that he needed, that he deserved. You've been birthed in difficulty. And yet, you haven't stopped doing the things that are right. You've only pressed forward. Proud of you. And, I'm no Paul. I'm not even close there is such a difference between Paul and me in that I know how close he will be to the throne, like front row seat close. And I will be at the back of the auditorium only being able to, to recognize him with binoculars and that the back of his head. Jesus is not 
going to let me that close like Paul. He is outstanding. But I can have a similar experience. When I think about the Charlottesville Church called Victory, you only bring me joy. No problems. You only bring me joy. Thus, with this recipe of understanding how you were birthed, what you produced in terms of thanksgiving, how the prayer has, 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 has been prompted by joy and your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident, listen to me, in the midst of this transition, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus isn't done with Victory Church. Our best days are ahead of us. Our best days are ahead of us. I beg you, get up every day believing that tomorrow is going to be better than today because you haven't come to the end. And he's not done. I am persuaded fully so that if he started in you this way, Philippi, I'm not being inaccurate at superimposing that over you. It might be a stretch in terms of, 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 of the, the, the magnitude, but not in terms of effect. If he began a good work in you, he will perfect it because he loves that city called Charlottesville. And there's no other congregation like you in the city. None. They do not exist. What he started, he's going to finish. On this exhortation, Paul didn't, didn't say this about any other congregation. He didn't say it about Galatia. He didn't say it about Ephesus. He didn't say it about Thessalonica. He didn't say it about Corinth. It's not that it may not have been true. He just didn't say it. And here, because he had the recipe that gave him confidence, he was able to say, I am fully persuaded, no doubt at all in my mind, about what God is going to do on the inside of you, church at Philippi. As a result of what you have done for him, he will complete that which he starts. And it's going to happen for you. Victory Church is going to happen for you. And if God privileges, if, if he gives me, if he privileges me to be able to help in the process, I can, I can say with great confidence, And we're going to finish together strong, strong, and see your city redeemed for God. The entire university redeemed for God. I'm committed to that. Whatever it takes, I am committed to that. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. 
I thank you for your goodness and grace. Would you please help this church to become what it needs to become? Let them know the steps. Give them the architecture. Bless them with the ability to see beyond the difficulties that are in their present. Thank you for birthing this church and making it what Charlottesville needs to be whole. In Jesus' name, amen. Victory Church, love you much. Hope to be able to see you in person someday. <laughs> as soon as we get released to be able to do what needs to be done in terms of gathering, which is what the church ought to do. You know, you get, obviously, I'm grateful for whatever we can do virtually. It's really, really a good, a good substitute. But it is a bad replacement. And so I'm... I'm taking the substitute and not complaining. But I'm looking forward to what the real is supposed to be. And I'm looking forward to experiencing that with you. Bless you. Have a great day. You're the best.